Welcome back, Red Spotters. Another show here on the Red Spotlight Entertainment Podcast. I'm your host today, Alexis J. Soto. I am joined by Mr. David Francisco in his first show of 2020. You must have heard me say this by now, David. I know it's been um, a few weeks since we last sat down and did a podcast together. Um, it's literally like maybe four episodes, I guess, maybe three later, but, um, 2020 is already the longest year of my life. (laughs) Um, and I don't mean that in terms of podcasting. I mean, we haven't done as many, I think, as we did in the last two months. Um, but they've been coming at, you know, at our usual weekly schedule. But as, uh, as I'm sure listeners can kind of pick up on the last few weeks, um, real world events have kind of been messing with my um, perception of time and um, let's just say January at this point is feels like it's been three months um, considering at least for me anyway it's it, 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 it's been a long fucking month how are you <laughs> uh, I'm good uh, just got out of class <laughs> okay yeah, I I got out of class too. Teaching one anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, I do that now. Yeah. Yay. Um so, you're going to catch us on this recording maybe feeling a bit tired, maybe <laughs> not being as uh, you know, composed as we usually are, but it doesn't fucking matter because you know what? It's like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. It's a weekday and fuck it, we're just going to go for it. So today on episode 211, we have uh, several discussions. We have a lot of nerdy, geeky discussions with Doctor Who and Star Wars, uh, the Clone Wars, first and foremost. And then we're going to get into some discussions about some films that we haven't talked about yet. Some that David just saw, like The Two Popes, um, also The Farewell, 1917, and Little Women. And whatever the hell else we feel like talking about... Um, just quickly, I want to update people. I know the last podcast that dropped, um, focused a lot on the awards season. And I had said that once upon a time in Hollywood was at the front runner. Um, it still very much is in play, but it's looking right now just to keep people posted that, uh, 1917 and Parasite are actually going to go toe to toe with each other. Um, and it appears to be this year's final two. As if it were a damn reality contest. But it pretty much is, you know, how how they are and everything. Because uh, 1917, oh, Jesus, I think it won the uh, the uh, Producers Guild. And then Parasite surprisingly won the Screen Actors Guild uh, version of Best Picture. So, uh, and happy for that movie, obviously. So, that's a little quick of an update if you care. Um, award season is going to be wrapping up. I think, I don't know, by this time next week, uh, by the time February comes along, it'll be said and over with. And with that, as previously promised, uh, our top 10 lists. I've just gotten earth-shattering news. Today, I think around 7 o'clock, 7.30, I, I don't know, um, Peter Martinez um, <laughs> officially turned in his top 10 list of 2019. And I have to say, that's a damn miracle. I, I didn't expect it until at least April. Um, so, 
So that's that's something. And apparently he hit a new record of how many films that he's seen and liked, which evidently enough, uh, you know, puts David and I to shame in terms of the number of movies. Yeah. That we've, and, I, and I thought I saw a lot of movies, <laughs> but OK, fuck it. Um, all right. So uh, by by I want to say at the latest, by the middle of February, we should be rolling out our top 10 lists of 2019 and our top 10 lists of the 2000s, the decade of the 2000s. David, um, uh, have you made any progress on your top 10? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't try to watch all the movies like Peter does. It's just whatever comes up from that year, I'll, I'll watch it. And if it goes into my top 10, then it goes into my top 10. Which is it's happening a lot lately. So, not that you know the early part of 2019 was awful. I thought there were some good films that came out mm-hmm. in the early part of 2019, but the really exceptional films, I think, in large bulk came out in like the last fucking month of the year. It seems so. Um, I've I've made no secret that my top ten has been shattered entirely. Um, not just by one movie, but several movies. Same. Um, I'm like trying to squeeze 11 movies now into my top 10. And I'm having the damnedest time picking which one gets left out. And then I feel bad. <laughs> and they're just like, no, I want them all in there. No, it's... Yeah. So it's... It's a... Uh, it's a process. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's the update on that. And of course, when the Oscars air, we'll probably have a post-show and we'll talk about um, the bullshit that happens there, obviously. Um, so that's your update for where we are on that. Now today, uh, David and I haven't actually had the chance to talk much about a whole lot. So today of the recording, today is being January the 22nd, this probably will, you know, drop by the i want to say 26th um 25th whatever it is uh the disney plus dropped a trailer for the upcoming uh final season of star wars the clone wars which is going to i think february 20 ish um so interesting uh this is it it, it fun it suddenly all just became so real um, you know, and I don't, I don't know if, if this sounds, I don't know, bad to say this, but it almost feels like, okay, I'm kind of ready for Star Wars to not go away, but to just kind of hit the pause button on it. Yeah. Especially after episode nine. And it almost like this trailer was like, um, yeah, no, th- this is the real closure for you, um, for Star Wars. Uh, I look, Star Wars: The Clone Wars is among my favorite series ever, and um, it's. I just don't want people to forget that it's kind of a miracle, um, especially if you're a, f- a big fan of this show. How unceremoniously it was just ripped out of our hands. And literally seven years later, seven years later, here comes the finale 
the closure that um, we never thought we would see. And to just sit there and see a trailer for new episodes of The Clone Wars, the final episodes of The Clone Wars, regardless of whether or not we have a general idea of how that's going to go down, just seeing that animation again and seeing those characters again, um, it just made me so happy. It made me so happy. Um, And talk about a wait <laughs> talk about a long fucking wait to have it's been it the show has been off the air for seven years that's fucking crazy um oh god i mean what did you make of the trailer uh and also talk about like your history with clone wars and everything i'm sure you're a big fan of it as i am uh i am a fan of it um i didn't didn't watch it much when it was on television. Yeah, I kept, I just, I just kept missing episodes. But I, I would catch the reruns, and it'd always be fun. Uh, and then I tried binge watching it when it was on Netflix, uh, but I still haven't gone to the end. <laughs> so I gotta really? get, yeah, I still gotta get to that. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I, I enjoyed the show, and from the bits and pieces that I've always seen, it always got me excited and from the trailer uh i mean it's just it's ahsoka (laughs) you want to see that ending and yeah uh i definitely like the look of it the animation my first thought of the trailer was that the animation looked like a combination of rebels and clone wars like they somehow combined it too and that gets me excited because i actually like the fighting better in rebels than in clone wars so i think we're gonna see a lot of cool stuff in it yeah, it, it uh I don't know how much money they asked for um for these last few episodes, but you can tell um when they when they um crank out the Jedi robes and everything on animation, you know, they're spending a pretty penny to put this thing on. Um this animation is stunning. Just stunning. Um the only thing I will say, though, is I am not looking forward to it in a way because they're going to do the same thing they did with Mandalorian and release every episode weekly throughout a 12-week period, um, which is eh, because like the way the clone wars format worked is every four episodes is like one big story. So, um, yeah, but it's going to be fun just having it back. You know, it, it, it's really just a celebration of the show. And I'm happy. I'm happy that, um, it's been given its due because really when, when Lucasfilm was purchased by Disney, this was the first thing on the chopping block. It, it, it got like, it didn't even take um, a couple of like thoughts for Bob Iger uh, to like, yeah, this this isn't really something we want to do. And they got rid of it um, in large part, I assume, because I think uh, Warner Brothers, Cartoon Network, had, I think, the rights to it or whatever at the time. And they didn't want to keep making more. So they just that, that's what the rumors say. Although, of course, since they have it, I don't know. Eh, who cares? It's back. It's going to be ending. There it is. So, Doctor Who. 
Um, the new series is airing right now. Um, I have uh, caught up on all of the new ones. I think David has one, the most recent one that he hasn't seen. Um, he and I actually haven't had the opportunity to talk about Doctor Who in quite some time. Uh, Doctor Who's actually back uh, on the air for the first time since 2018. Um, I mean, regular season. And, um, yeah, I, it's interesting, right? Because I'm kind of in the middle of this, of, of this like, a Doctor Who revival. Me, personally, just getting, getting... Every now and then I go back to Doctor Who and I, like, want to, like, think about it a lot. And... Okay, so did you and I ever have a back and forth about our thoughts on series 11? Um, I don't think so. I know I did like an episode of Who Knows with Kyle. Okay. And, but I don't think, I don't think you and I ever really talked about it. Maybe not so much. Well, actually, yeah, we. Yeah. I think we did. But it was like in the beginning of the season, not like oh. Oh, not, not the overall season. Right. So see, series 11, for those who are not aware of Doctor Who, is a very polarizing season. Um, and it has also been unfairly criticized from certain segments of the fan base who, quite frankly, um, it's the same thing with Captain Marvel and with Star Wars. There's a, not all of it, but there's there's a section of people who kind of just hate it because there's a woman now that's running the that's the Doctor, and um, I think it's unfortunate that there are some things that I have issue with in a series that involves a brand new frontier for Doctor Who. So, um. My feelings on series 11 were very mixed. I don't know about you. Uh yeah, it was pretty mixed too. I mean, I still right now I still love Jodie Whittaker as the doctor. Mm. Um and I still love all the rest of the cast. They're funny, they're great working together and all that. It's just um since I guess you don't remember, I mentioned when we talked about it that the season season 11 wasn't really going to have like a narrative story throughout the entire season. Right. It was just one adventure to the next and to the next. And that's one thing that worried me. And yeah, that was kind of the weakest part of the season is that it didn't have a narrative story. I liked the adventures they went on, but it was just that. I think, um, as far as that is concerned, um, I enjoy those. Although they've, some have, you know, worked out better than others, obviously. But I think in general what this show is, they've they've done a pretty good job of incorporating whatever mystery box element, whatever overarching narrative there is for a season. It ultimately, to me, was never so much the surprise element, whereas what they did with the characters, what they did, what it meant to the Doctor and the companion and the dynamic... And how their relationship was going to go forward or not, that ultimately is what is what was at consequence for the show, not so much what the big reveal is, although that can be very fun as well. So I think in the sense it, it it's strange because I feel that maybe we could have had more 
my overall issue with series 11 was it felt aimless it felt directionless I didn't get a sense of where we were going. What We weren't building to anything. We just kind of were. And it kind of became ultimately, in my view, disappointing that this is, this is the best they could come up with, with honestly what could have been the most single important series of Doctor Who maybe ever with Jodie Whittaker coming in as the first female doctor um I like Jodie Whittaker's performance but I'm not I'm still not ready to say that I enjoy her doctor only because I don't feel like I know her all that much and that's my biggest issue is that no matter what other things are on the side, even with too many companions or whatever, or not development there, there hasn't been, I feel, the necessary development or attention to this doctor to where I can connect with her as the doctor. You know, I'm still looking at it and feeling like it's a performance by Jodie Whittaker versus I'm looking at the doctor herself. I can't connect with her. It's, and that's actually like <clears throat> one of my biggest problems in this season. It's, and it, it really has to do with the writing, you know? Yeah. And like one thing that I noticed, and I, I noticed this when I saw that New Year's special about right resolution. Resolution, yeah. And that every season it's the same pattern. Like when he has a new companion, you know, they like they right. to get a new one, they think they're going to this great adventure. Then something happens that they realize who the heck are we with, and that's how you connect with the doctor, at least to the right. new doctor. It's through the yeah. companions, <clears throat> and they haven't taken the time to really connect the companions <clears throat> with the doctor at all. I mean, it seems like they're gonna do that now this season, so hopefully, it can well, lead up to something. I mean, but... we're or <laughs> here's the thing. Okay, there's just so much already that we could say. I know. <laughs> My my big my big issues is that yes it was kind of a squander of a series because series eleven because you had a, the vast frontier of a new direction and you didn't do a new direction and and it became kind, not even just run of the mill Doctor Who kind of like basic Doctor Who, um, the writing is the biggest I think problem with this and that is. While there have been, you know, a couple of, you know, lines changed here and there, you would think a character as big as the Doctor that has regenerated 13 times, you'd think there'd be more of an emphasis on the fact that she's a woman. And just think of the opportunities that creates for you, for this series to tell some of these stories from a completely different perspective. And yet, I feel that's just kind of been neglected or, or or barely mentioned, right? And her gender playing a big role in this iteration of the series, I think could have been something very defining for this doctor. And yet they haven't really addressed it all that much. 
which I find disappointing because I think that's kind of the bridge to new stories, to different perspectives. I know in that witch episode, there was a line here and there, but the doctor sometimes doesn't even realize she's a woman now. Um, and I think that's also part of the problem is that it didn't really change anything. And then you bring up the companions, which is a different issue. So I mentioned in the last Who Knows, when we, we were talking about Spyfall, uh, Kyle and I. And I said that, um, man, it really is eye-opening that at the second part of the two-part season 12 opener, it all of a sudden dawns on these people. Wait a minute. We don't really know this bitch we're traveling with in the box, do we? <laughs> <laughs> like at all yeah and the doctor is secretive but in all of the previous iterations by this time in capaldi smith tenant um hell even like in the one season with eccleston the stories forced a lot of revelations between the doctor and the companion. You know, the stories revealed the doctor to the companions. And if you noticed in all of those different series, here's, here's something that, that I think is key in, in uh, series 11 and series 12, the companions and the doctor are more or less on the same page. One hundred percent of the time there is no disagreements there's no fighting there's no bickering there's no conflict and that's boring and then you realize to yourself that in all of the other versions there have been several instances where the companion stands up to the doctor and takes him the task for whatever reason you know wrong or right there have been clashes and when you have those kind of clashes, I mean, sparks fly. And that's, you know, that get, that spins the wheels for storytelling to actually mean something. And, you know, to, to put a stamp on what it is that this show is. I think of Thin Ice, the third episode of Series 10, where Bill, you know, confronts Capaldi's doctor... By just letting that boy be sucked down by that sea beast and him just saving his sonic screwdriver and her like, how many people have you killed? And he doesn't answer that. I think of Clara <laughs> um, with, uh, with Capaldi or with um, the second episode um, with Matt Smith and Amy Pond. He blew up at her because she kept something from him. Um, and then the same thing with Martha and Donna and Rose. And I just feel like people are saying that there are too many companions. And to a degree, that's true because you have three times as many characters to keep an eye out. And all three of them have been underdeveloped. Maybe, I think maybe Ryan this season is getting more of a look. Um, but still, it's an interesting choice that... At no point, it seems that we're going to develop any kind of a dynamic with the, the companions and the doctor, right? Like, even at this, and when I pointed to what you just said, right? That, that they're just realizing now, who who is this woman that we don't know? 
I think we can check the tape that by this point, <laughs> Rose, Donna, Martha, Amy, Rory, Clara, Bill, especially Bill, she had one season. Um, a lot of them had only one season. A lot of them had only one season, if you think about it. Um, at this point, for the companions to not know about Gallifrey, the Time Lords, regeneration, anything, like, series 11, and ugh, I don't want to sound this way, because I understand where Chris Chibnall, the showrunner, wanted to, like, not be so attached to the previous seasons, but like it felt so disconnected from um the overall story of Doctor Who um and where they are now. That's why which would have been fine if you've carved out some new um story to go forward. But there wasn't any. And that's part of the reason why I felt aimless. But it also felt disconnected because the doctor just kept so much of who she's been to herself. And the companions didn't really know the doctor like we know the doctor. So I'm almost just at arm's length with it because like, okay. But it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating for me as a viewer, I'll say um, because I don't know. It just like, it, and I know that in series 12, like think about this, right? So from that episode you mentioned from resolution to, to just Spyfall, And I almost, I fear that it may have been like a reactionary thing, but in the span of two episodes, they bring back the Daleks and the master. <laughs> That's that was one thing I didn't, I mean, I wouldn't say didn't like about those episodes, but it's the one thing that I noticed immediately about the writer <laughs> that right. he's he's really not good at building up stuff. And I really think he did not portray the doctor right when he introduced them. Because introduced of the both of the both Daleks and the master. Because like every time, like the first time you see the Dalek, which is in um like uh, which doctor was it? Which new who or old new who? who? The new who uh it, it was episode called Dalek uh, yeah. in season one. Yeah, when like when you first see it on that, you know that you you get like the happy happy doctor and he's like all calm and everything, and then as soon as you see the Dalek, it's a complete one eighty, and like he's either afraid or angry and. But with, but with Jody, you know they they had this bad situation, and she literally says, "Oh no, 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 no," and then when she finds out the Dalek, it's just, "Oh no, 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 no," and then when she finds out it's the Master, "Oh no, 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 no," it's like, I mean, come on, you, you gotta. Oh my God, I didn't realize that. Yeah, she, it's, it's the exact same reaction. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm not kidding. Like she says, "Oh no, no." Oh no, no, no. Yeah, like you, and he, he's not utilizing like full. Jody's acting ability in this, I feel like, and it's it was really a disappointment. And also, what I mean, like he's not really good at building up stuff, you know, in past seasons, or bringing up with the master when you first see him in Tenant's Run. Throughout the entire season, you he you see little things that build up mm -hmm. to the reveal of the master. Now, I right. don't mind revealing the master in the beginning of 
this season, 12th season. But in the next episode where they're in that spa thing and like you find out that the spa place is um, it's Earth. Spoilers, sorry. But it's Earth. And you think, you know, I think it would have been better if like the doctor kept that to herself and it's like, oh shoot, what is this? And like, you know, we forget about it. Like all the other scenes, they throw something in, but we forget about it later on until it comes back up. But he uses that as a reason to talk about global warming to protect the earth. And it's it's fine, but uh, you, you missed well, an that, opportunity there, man. There was a lot of missed opportunities, especially with how it was weirdly edited at the end. That episode you're talking about. But if we're talking about, I hadn't realized it, but you were so correct when you said that she reacted in the exact same way to Daleks and the Master. And it was like, oh my god, that's bad. Yeah. Because... I, I, while that in and of itself is just not good because you can't the Daleks and the master are, are different entities and she should have different reactions to both mm-hmm. and why i know that because we've seen that yeah i think of think about this in your mind the the not just eccleston but tennant and smith and capaldi the first time they all exper- came across the daleks the anger mm-hmm. that compelled all of them the fear uh, in Doomsday with with Tennant or with uh, in, in the Winston Churchill episode with with Smith and how angry he was at the he, at the Daleks. Smith <clears throat> he literally like takes like some crowbar and starts beating the Daleks. Yes, and so, yes, like, as 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 he should because <laughs> they're they're evil mm-hmm. and and yeah and usually when like you have something like that whether it's a Dalek or the Master or just something like big villainy that's how they used it to sort of make the companions go oh who the heck who the heck Mm -hmm. are we with you know and again it wasn't really utilized well like for me my favorite version of the master uh in this series has been missy and i love the reveal of missy and i especially loved capaldi's reaction uh to the reveal of missy oh my god Um, that's the best (laughs) but uh, and um I don't want to spend too much time like repeating what I said, but can you tell me your thoughts on, on how, okay. So one of my issues, um, and again, I, I, I recognize that it, that it's just a me thing. Um, but what did you make of what, what I said about, um, how all of the interact, well, basically everything with the master and with the doctor in Spyfall was handled in response to where we left Missy. Remember what I said about that? What we left missing. So what what I said was this. So <clears throat> if we are, and I do believe that that uh, this new master is the direct successor to Missy, um, which I mean it's not a surprise because the master would always come back, even if mm-hmm. they say that that they died or whatever. But <sighs> there were several things about that that just, as a longtime viewer, did not work, and it didn't work because. They they just act as if series ten didn't happen. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, I was an confused. Entire, an entire season, like the doctor kept the master in a vault, rehabilitating her, and he succeeded. Mm-hmm. She stood with him in the end. Yeah, and yet here we are, like a season later, and it it was weird to me how the show acted like that never happened. Yeah. Yeah, it it was weird, and I mean, 
we're gonna have to wait till the end of the season sadly to know like what exactly what it was that like just yeah. made that turn for him but I, okay i can i can understand what kyle said that okay maybe the master came back to gallifrey and then he became mad again that makes sense but why the doctor would just forget that all the time that she spent with the master mm-hmm. like i get that the last time that she saw the master two versions of the master were leaving her in the dust yeah um but deep down when i go back and look at that that amazing scene with gabaldi and and, and michelle gomez and john sim um when he's basically begging with them and you see the tears in missy's eyes because she wants to so badly stand with him I get the feeling deep down Capaldi knew he made some kind of headway with her. Yeah. That he didn't fail Mm -hmm. entirely. Yeah, it should have been brought up with Jody's doctor. Like, she should have mentioned, hey, like, was there something that I did to make you change? Like, why are you doing this and all that? And think about the potential for for what that could create here. And maybe the failure of the doctor. So many things come to mind that could have been done with that. And, And... I understand that for new viewers, that's not necessarily important. But for us, longtime viewers, it it it, it was strange, mm-hmm. and it was again. It's really <sighs> just my biggest complaint. He's not utilizing Jody's acting ability. I feel like she can do so much more, but he's just giving her the whole. She's the happy doctor, and and. There's no, it's it, and it, and it, it, yeah, it just makes me nervous for like, okay, so the whole premise is like, okay, y- everything you 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 thought you knew was a lie. Won't <laughs> kill, kill me, <laughs> fucking kill me. Um, that could be great. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah. like, you're okay. What? So Gallifrey is destroyed. The master did it, and because of a lie. And you just think to yourself, "Well, yes, the 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 show has retconned a lot of things in the past, and not to say that they're not you know capable of doing it any longer." But I just feel that it, it, in a era of Doctor Who that already feels so disconnected from the previous like ten years. Um, you're really going to go out of your way to basically undo that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, you're crossing some dangerous territory here. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I really hope to God that you can pull it off and do something good with it. But I, I feel like, okay, so we start off the season with this big revelation Master is back, and we're not we're not gonna get the resolution to that until the last two episodes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, can we just like one year just break from the mold? Like maybe can we just have the master just more involved? Have that story just be more than just the the premiere and the finale? Yeah, you know, like have the characters live with the revelation and move on from it because orphan 55 the last episode by the by the way i i enjoyed spyfall 
I enjoyed yeah. the episodes. Same. And I and I really enjoyed the new master. So, you know, just, just to be clear, we're not just bitching to bitch. Like, <laughs> I, ingenu- I genuinely enjoyed yeah, yeah, these episodes. Yeah. No, I was confused when, like, they introduced him as the master. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, he's the master, I guess. And But yeah. the way he kind of, like, just did this whole, like, the way he acted all crazy and evil. I don't know how to explain it. But <laughs> I immediately bought him as the master. Yeah. So I, I had no issues there, right? So there's some good stuff here. Mm-hmm. But... So with Orphan 55 also, you know, was standard Doctor Who and I enjoyed it, but there I think what it hurts is we're 12 seasons in and it's like, okay, but this could have been so much better. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons it could have been so much better is like, okay. And I've noticed that people are really uh, upset about this, but uh, okay, so that speech at the end. Putting the substance of it to the side for a bit, it was so weirdly placed in the episode. Like, it was so weird. So, she gives this, like, foreboding monologue to her companions. We get no reaction from her companions. And then it cuts to the monster, and then it cuts to Black, and that's the episode. And it's like... That... That was pretty abrupt. Yeah. You know, just to put it just to put it nicely on that. Yeah. Um oh, it's almost as if the writer is kinda like he wants to do like how it's usually done this season, giving the narrative story, but he also wants to add in his own that whole like his speeches stuff that he did last season, like Oh, this person went out to do this and all that. And it's like, and then this person went out to do that. Like they did the last season. It's like, he's trying to mix both of them in, but it was, it was badly placed in the last episode or not the last episode, but this is the problem also is with all of the big moments with, um, with Whitaker's doctor at this point, I should know her. Mm-hmm. At this point, I should understand who she is, and I feel if I were to put, if I were to clip together all of her big speeches, just remembering what I can because they weren't memorable, I'm just going to assume there are a lot of inconsistencies there. It, it, she's just not consistent with what she says because she says she's a pacifist, but then she says there's no consistency. I feel to that, whereas. Every single fucking time Capaldi gave a speech, it was entirely into his character. Mm-hmm. Entirely. Nothing. And I'm, I, I, not even just the war speech from the Zygon inversion, the, the Dr. Falls speech, um, when he's, you know, pouring his heart out to his, to the masters or, um, his final monologue before he regenerates. Like there's so, and it all felt unique to him and his doctor. Whereas the speeches that she gives does not feel unique to her. Mm -hmm. So I think, I I think you and I are in general agreement that there, there's been, the writing is the big issue. And, but the writing is kind of failing on all cylinders, I feel, in terms of the, the doctor, the companions, and the storylines are just overall. And again, I enjoyed these episodes, but I'm worried for <laughs> the potential um, revelation 
I'm more worried than I am excited. Yeah. And that's not a good thing, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I agree. <laughs> Anything else to add on that? Uh, no. I mean, yeah, that's kind of been festering. Same. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. I'm just thinking back to resolution, which again, an episode I liked an episode that I thought used the Daleks in an interesting way out of the shell and everything. Yeah. And the Daleks sinisterly again, that's handled well. But just not the doctor. But the fact that the doctor. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, let's deal with it. And the doctor doesn't even really say to the companions what the. She doesn't say what the Daleks are. She just says they're an old enemy of mine. Hmm. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Gosh. And it makes me feel terrible because I want to love Jodie Whittaker's doctor. I want to love these companions. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like the, the, the problem isn't them. It's just Chris Chibnall. And I just think to myself, fuck, couldn't we just have had Stephen Moffat just stay? I, I, <laughs> I get that Stephen Moffat, Stephen Moffat like wasn't like, I understand to a lot of fans, Stephen Moffat was very hit or miss. But when he hit, holy fuck, did it hit. It hit. Right? (laughs) No, yeah. So I just, I almost just wonder what it would have looked like if he had stayed. And with this doctor and everything. I almost wished that would have been the case. Because I'm just visualizing. Imagine if Pearl Mackey's Bill Potts has stayed over. And then a new dynamic with that companion with Jodie Whittaker. That's a potential. I mean, gosh, I'm sorry. All of which is to say is I'm not over the fact that Peter Capaldi left. um, Stephen Moffat left. Even Murray Gold, who did the amazing scores for all those years of Doctor Who. He's gone. Like, oh, gosh. (laughs) And it's not just that... It was a transitional period, right? Like, I feel like we wouldn't be having these issues if it was really good right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's not bad, but there's growing concerns. Like, Yaz yeah. kind of has no character. Yeah. She's just kind of there. And that's kind of her job every single episode. Mm-hmm. And in, in Series 11, Graham and Ryan had more going on. But And when you'll see the, the Tesla episode, which is the next one. Um, that you haven't seen yet. It almost feels as if <sighs> they, they're they all kind of the same person now. Oof. And there's like nothing going on. And I'm like, <sighs> but, but Graham is, a, uh, Graham especially is one that I thought really, I thought worked. He was kind of my favorite one of last year. But there's no meat to the bones. That's kind of the issue. Yeah. So, no. We're, yeah. We're, we're both just worried <laughs> what the heck is going to happen. And Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, to reiterate, that's coming from us who enjoyed these last batch of episodes, mm-hmm. more or less. You know, so. <sighs> yeah. Uh, let's get into these goddamn movie reviews. Yeah. Uh, David... Uh, you have your phone out. You're gonna read the dis- the synopses for these movies, um, and I'm gonna let you pick what which movie you want to start off talking about. With. Ooh, oh god, oh god. 
Which ones were we going to talk about? I mean, I know there's... I know. So, we had 1917, Little Women, Two Popes, and Farewell. Uh, uh, let's go for Two Popes, because you guys already talked about it, right? I just yes. got to get my thoughts on yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, what... Okay. So, the synopsis is Two Popes, frustrated with the direction of the church, Cardinal Bergoglio requests permission to retire. Hold on. Let me just stop you there, because yeah. I know Peter botched the name. It, um, it's Bergoglio, but I think the the easier way to pronounce it is Bergoglio. Ah, okay. Jorge Bergoglio. Okay. Bergoglio requests permission to retire in, retire in, twel- in 2012 from Pope Benedict. Instead of facing scandal and self-doubt, the introspective Pope Benedict summons his harshest critic and future successor to Rome to reveal a secret that would shake the foundations of the Catholic Church. So, yeah. Uh, this movie was great. Oh my gosh. Um, who were the actors? Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins were really great together. I laughed in everything that they were doing and they were both just um they were just both really interesting characters and in how how much they clashed in their ideals, how they both just handled it super well talking to each other's talking to each other. Yeah, I mean you guys said it in your podcast. It was funny great acting great what i kind of noticed it but it was more of the the sounds around them how it used everything around themselves to kind of create the tension and also the the peacefulness no there were there was a lot of amazing details about yeah. the movie and uh i mean some of the things that i picked up on you're right the the, the atmosphere around them especially when they're outside in the garden atmosphere yes adds it really adds to uh the clash that's going on there talking about examples of how clashing can make for great riveting um filmmaking um just like that um but i also one of the, one of the best touches is because i've been listening to the score which is also great in the end of itself, the score for the film. Although you, if you listen back to the soundtrack, they it's, Oh my God. But one of my favorite um, sequences is when uh, father Bergoglio, uh, Pope Francis, when he's not Pope Francis, he's walking in um, for the first time in the movie in the Sistine chapel, the huge recreation of the Sistine chapel. Mm-hmm. And he, it's filmed beautifully because it, it looks like he's walking into a dark room, but he's not. It's just from our point of view. And then the the, the dark reveals the big Sistine Chapel. And this beautiful, jazzy, saxophony music is kind of playing in the background while we're showing... They're showing the images of the recreation of the Sistine Chapel. Um, and kind of like... Uh, symbol symbolizing his spirituality, mm-hmm. um, and his experience, his spiritual experience, seeing these images. Beautiful, wonderful touches. How do we not mention um the fact that he he's whistling um dancing queen? What's the song? Da- dancing queen. <laughs> <laughs> it's also weirdly funny. This movie. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! As soon as I heard that, I'm like, okay, that's pretty f- cool. But then they actually yeah. played the song, and I'm like. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I would not yeah. have expected this. No, it, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like it is on paper. I can imagine maybe all of us thinking, "Damn, this looks like a boring movie," but it is 
so not. Mm-hmm. Not only are the, you know, religious and political discussions riveting, but it is entertaining, like really entertaining. And it is um, beautifully made, even in the flashback scenes, the, the actor that plays young Bergoglio mm-hmm. and all the crap that happens there. And I think for me, thinking back, me, I haven't seen it in a couple of weeks, but I still keep getting images of... Um, I know that in the scene where uh, it's after dinner and Hopkins and, and, and Price are in there and they're playing piano. But before then, you know, the Pope admits that, you know, God doesn't talk to him and he just looks so distraught. And you just saw oh God, the acting by mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins. Or when from the flashback that we see that Bergoglio got a call from God, literally, um, as he was about to propose, uh, or, you know, marry whatever his, his then girlfriend. Um, and then we cut back to old Bergoglio and he's (laughs) just about in tears. Mm -hmm. Um, it is honest to God. It's great. It's amazing. And I'm really happy you guys have enjoyed it. Like yeah. you really liked you, you said it was great and, and Kyle really loved it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, well, thankfully it wasn't just me that thought that thought that for a change. Yeah. No, I um, I honestly would have entirely skipped this movie because I'm just not big on religion. So the what's Well none of us are. Yeah. That's kind of the weird that, that that's interesting, right? Because like I I also had that thought in my mind is None of us are. Some of us may subscribe to one, but none of us would ever be quoted or identified as being the religious type, mm-hmm. or I guess the stigma that comes with being quote unquote religious, if you will. Uh, especially, well, I mean, to be fair, you subscribe to the Church of Disney, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know you you did grow up in a community that is very much catholic mm-hmm. overwhelmingly catholic i would say not that your family is devout or any of that but um interestingly what what made you watch this and what did you make of all of the religious components since um uh that's not necessarily who you are uh well i mean it was I was kind of a little bit interested just because of Anthony Hopkins and um, Jonathan Price. Yeah, him. Just because I know they're really good actors, so it's got to be a bit interesting. Mm-hmm. But then you guys on the group chat said like, "Go, like this movie's amazing. You guys gotta watch it." So yeah. I'm like, "Okay, I'll give it a shot." And then just the way, and then you guys again, you guys, you guys described it. You know, it's it's not it's really funny and it's actually engaging in the topics that they're talking about, which I did too. Found it super engaging. From like me not being that religious at all, it it and there it didn't really seem to bother me because they're really just talking about morality, basically, and which is yeah, yeah it's something that we should all listen to every once in a while or know about. Yeah, that is interesting that you mm-hmm. pointed that out there. You know, it, it, morality, many people would point to religion as being, you know, where morality came from, but not entirely having to be connected to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is something to be said that people who are not 
who don't identify as religious can also um, enjoy this movie. And that's great. And I think that just speaks to how great the movie is, if that's mm-hmm. the case. Because, I mean, it, it is... It, it, I mean, it, it does get into the faith. I mean, it is a philosophical debate, basically, what we're happening here, or yeah. what, what the movie is. So I'm just over the moon that you guys liked it so much because it, it, yeah. it really touched me. It, 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 I even saw it in Spanish with my dad. Um, so it was hmm. just like, yeah, great film. Okay. So with that being said, um, also go Netflix. Um, yes, they're, Netflix. They're, 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 yeah. Oh, I wanted to say real quick, um, and you don't have to pull this up, but I really, really enjoyed Klaus. I saw that <laughs> over the Christmas uh, break. Um, I, I told this to to Moreno when she was over here, and I said this to her that um, the movie, weirdly enough, the best way to describe it is like if you were to smush together the Emperor's New Groove with the nightmare before christmas yeah <laughs> because you have basically the story of the emperor's new groove but you have kind of the visual direction of uh, uh of burton's uh you know nightmare before christmas and the whole christmas element here mm-hmm. um no but it's really good like i i'd actually think well for me um it's hard because you know i am a disney bitch um and a pixar bitch um <laughs> It's hard for me because generally I I genuinely do love Toy Story 4 and Frozen 2 in their own ways. Mm. Um, and I, I may like those movies more than Klaus, but at the same time, if I had the opportunity to award a film for best animated feature, I do think Klaus deserves it the most. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, yeah. I, I agree. I, I, I thought it was... Oh, God... It's it's also a great Christmas movie. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a lo- it, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. <clears throat> no, I mean it just it hits all the right spots of Christmas about family yeah. and the the Christmas spirit and about all the whole um. Oh my God! I had the words like days ago, <laughs> like how I would describe this movie. Uh, <laughs> it's always when I do the podcast. <laughs> uh, well, it happens a lot. Well think of it in a minute but it's like it's a low-key origin story of for santa claus in a way <laughs> um and i didn't catch on to that until like maybe a quarter into the movie <laughs> but damn that's a hell of an origin story yeah um it's... and we've seen plenty of them haven't we but it, it it's an origin story that doesn't excessively try too hard to be an origin story in a way and I felt that maybe calling the movie that is kind of undercutting it because it's not really that. It's there. But what makes it work is obviously the writing. I think the voice actors are great. And like any good, great Christmas movie, it has the right amount of heart. Just a big heart. Um, I really like Jesper um, and Klaus. Um seeing jesper i mean jesper's arc is basically cusco um i mean let's just be real about that um yeah it's very much the same thing but it's still because of the christmas element it's its own thing also i don't know why i don't realize this much but it, it may be 
Oh god, and it's hard because Frozen 2 and Toy Story 4 were beautifully animated movies, among the best animated movies, best looking animated movies. But damn, if I thought it was an a brilliant, honestly kind of inspired choice to go with 2D animation here. No, you can't go wrong with 2D. It's, it really always Especially has to since do we, with we don't have the way it. we don't have it that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and the fact that it is 2D in 2019, well, when it was in 2019, that makes it, I think, more special. It also mm-hmm. makes it more, I don't know, timeless in a way. Because, you know, it's 2D animation. I mean, it's classic animated movies. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, anything else to add on Klaus? <laughs> uh, no, I couldn't remember my words, but oh well. <laughs> Oh, well, that happens, I'm sure. So what was the next movie you want to talk about? Mm. Uh, let's talk about Little Women. Did you actually talk about that in the podcast? I don't remember. We haven't yet. Oh, okay. I know I did. Uh, I just gave my brief brief review of it. But the synopsis, Little Women, own your story. Four sisters come of age in America in the aftermath of a civil war. That's all it says. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> it's a really. I. I thought I had like more. I thought I would have said more, but yeah, that's all it says. Well, uh, like I said, I I love this movie, and the best thing about it was really the cast, um, ensemble cast. All of them so entertaining. Even what is it, Timothy Chalamet? And he, like, even though he's like not like a big. I mean, I wouldn't say big character in the story. It's really just. The women that were the best thing in this, and yeah, and like it says, it's a it's a bit of a coming of age story. It is, mm-hmm. it is. It's a beautiful ensemble. It's also we were just talking about Klaus. It's also even though it's not overtly, it's still a great Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, you know, <laughs> um, this movie is, you know. It it is this way. The what I've noticed about Greta Gerwig's movies. When I went to go see Lady Bird with um with Nettie and Eric, um, they asked me what I thought of it when I walked out. And I was like, I think the best way to describe Lady Bird was or is it's it's delightful. Mm-hmm. And Nettie was just like, Yeah, that's kind of the perfect word for it. It's delightful. And I think Greta Gerwig knows how to make a fucking movie. <laughs> a good, heartwarming, um, but not lazy or generic, you know? Yeah. It, it it's her movies. And and really with this this one in a weird way, because it, it it is an adaptation. It's not an original. But why does it feel like it's an original movie? I didn't know. I know. Well, it's like Little Women is this established thing. There have been actually like three other versions of this movie made in the past, mm-hmm. really. Um, so it's just like another, it's like A Star is Born, right? Because that movie was remade several times as well. Yeah. But I think there is something great to be said for the fact that even though I, I knew that this was an established franchise, I a franchise or, or series, I didn't know too much of what it was. Mm-hmm. Um. So that could that could have colored what I'm about to say, but 
I really do think that this is like, it's impressive that this is another version of this story being told, but it just feels entirely original. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also, I think maybe a better word for delightful, uh, a better word than delightful for this movie is cathartic. This movie, <laughs> I felt like I had like, um, all of my emotions put in a washing machine or something while watching this movie, you know? Mm. Um, the ensemble is great. You love all of them. You know, you get invested into them. The acting, phenomenal. Now, Cersei is amazing in everything. I loved her in Lady Bird. Yeah. I loved her in Brooklyn. And she's great here too. Timothy fucking Chalamet is one of the best actors I've ever seen. He's so young and yet it is unsettling how easy he makes it look <laughs> when he's acting. But you know who else is also great in this? And I agreed with you when you said this. She was also in Midsommar. Florence Pugh. Holy shit. He's great in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and she also got... Uh, so. Florence Pugh and Saoirse Ronan uh, were nominated for actress and supporting actress uh, for Little Women. Mm-hmm. And well-deserved, of course. It was the two best performances in the movie. Yeah. Um, yes. No, I'm just agreeing with you. Okay. Gosh. it yeah. is, And I said it was cathartic because like, it, it kind of puts you through the ringer because you get so invested in this family. Um, it helped that they're so likable um they're growing up in the civil war era post-civil war era um 1860s 1870s um if i'm not mistaken um and i just you know one of the things i that i i mean of course it, it deals with endearments of the heart and romance and all that stuff and it handles it in such an elegant way, you just can't help but being swept up in it mm-hmm. as they are in the movie. But I just thought to myself, you know, as I was walking out and getting a little bit emotional, even though it, I shouldn't be because I'm not a, I'm not a parent. God help me if I am. But I almost kind of like started crying thinking about what a perfect movie this would be if I ever had a little girl. Mm. Oh my God. <laughs> Greta Gerwig puts her stamp on this. Um, and it's just kind of like, you know, little girls can be whatever they want to be. Yeah. And I love how in, in a movie that is set in this era, I'm so appreciative of uh, how Sorshi, her characters handled in this movie mm-hmm. and the, and just, that her personal, while yes, she does get a man at the end. Um, I love how this movie went out of its way to make sure that that was something extra, but that's not really what her goal in the movie was. Yeah. Her goal was to conv- uh, to defy conventional wisdom, to, uh, I guess, the cliche, break the glass ceiling. Um, but, uh, her main thing was 
going through the artist's hellhole, if you will. Yeah. And as a woman getting a successful book, <laughs> which is called Little Women, as it were, um, out there. And they all have their own journeys. I mean, uh, Emma Watson uh, marries uh, not for money, but for true love. Um, there's even a twist and turn with uh, Timothy Chalamet and Florence Pugh. Yeah. Um, and and that may cut people the wrong way how it ends. That um, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I think that's the best word to use because yeah. it's not something I expected. It's also not something that I'm sure I'm entirely on board with. Mm-hmm, same. But the movie was so good, I kind of don't care. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not that big of an issue, but it. it it's interesting i'll I'll put it that way considering um all the things that happen right but we won't get into spoilers yet for that one but for me it was such a beautiful movie Mm. a beautiful movie to sit through and i hate the fact i hate the fact that it was ruined because the minute i walked out of that fucking movie it was when the whole Iran crap was happening, and I was like, "Oh fuck me!" <laughs> oh man, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I enjoyed the most of the story. It's, it's really four sisters growing apart almost, but finding some way to get back together with each other and yeah. accept each other's paths. Really, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's. It's a really wonderful story. Also, some of the most emotional moments I've seen in a movie on here. <laughs> like, it got me. And, like, if you get invested in this family, considering the things that happen, not just the good and the bad, but... Oh, my God. <laughs> um, also, I almost wish, even though she doesn't really do much here, um, but Laura Dern is great in this movie, too. Yeah. Everyone is. <laughs> it's yeah, like, everyone. Really, like, yeah. when we say ensemble cast and, like, everyone does great. Everyone. Yeah. Even, um, like, this one character kind of comes up, like, towards the quarter half or the quarter end of the movie. And uh-huh. he, but even he's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, it just gets me so excited for what Greta Gerwig is doing mm-hmm. next. I, so far, I'm really loving her as a filmmaker yeah. um, with this and Lady Bird. So I <laughs> can't wait for what happens next. Okay. So mm-hmm. I suppose 1917? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, That's the next one we'll talk about. Yeah, so 1917. I, directed by Sam Mendes. Time is the enemy. At the height of the First World War, two young British soldiers, Schofield and Blake, are given a seemingly impossible mission. In a race against time, they must cross enemy territory and deliver a message that will stop a deadly attack on hundreds of soldiers, Blake's own brother among them. Uh, yeah, this this was great. I mean... Hold on a minute, I just realized something, uh, and I have to I have to stop this podcast to recognize something. Hmm. David is wearing an oppa. Oh. An Aang t-shirt oh from God. Avatar The Last Airbender. And it's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. I just, real- <laughs> I just realized oh my that. God. I just had 
I'm sorry. No, yeah. Box lunch. That's great. They got yes. some great stuff. I love it. <laughs> okay. It's great. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you we'd get a little loopy. I'm, you know, it's late. Go ahead. And, uh, out of my, it's a cool shirt. I love it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, 1917. Uh, great movie. I I love the actors. They worked very well together. And yes, the movie is one shot, but that's on to me at least that's like the least important thing of the movie really you got Mm -hmm. you got great tension you got intense moments and some really great music scores going on and Mm -hmm. when when you know when you see it like as a one shot the director did a great job in like you know getting you like as soon as things start to slow down it gets you going and then he knows when to slow down again and to kind of like make you be in the moment of what's happening to these characters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> I agree with every word of that. And that's exactly why I didn't really care for it. <laughs> um, it's so str- <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's, that's true. I gotta be real. Um, it is a great film, technically speaking. Yeah. Uh, the actors are great. The action is great. Uh, the one-shot-ness of it is great. The suspense, the stakes. Uh, I was interested throughout the entire film. Um, so on every level, from a crafts and technical perspective, it is a phenomenal film. Um, no one will doubt that. But when I said it's because of all those reasons why I don't care... And, um, and again, this is kind of where, you know, anyone's own internal biases can kick in, right? (sighs) While all of those things are true, me, speaking for me, and I'm sure Peter feels this way as well, this movie left me with the exact same feeling that Dunkirk left me with. And that is, well, not, that's not that's not fair because Dunkirk was disorienting in not a great way, at least for me. This wasn't. This was very easy to follow, and it was it was a good film, great film. But the similarities with this and Dunkirk, aside from it just being a war movie, is while employing great actors um, for these roles. I don't get a lick of um, a sense of uh, maybe more so with 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 uh, nineteen seventeen that Dunkirk attempted to, but I still <clears throat> clearly the the weak spot of this movie is character development because that's not really a concern with the movie. Now you do get a sense from the two actors that we follow here who they are what their deal is that's not what's in dispute what's in dispute is whether or not i give a shit (laughs) about them you know and that's kind of the ultimate test for me i find it hard to care about a movie if i don't care about the characters now that's not to say that the characters have to be inherently good-natured or bad-natured If I don't care about your character, if I can't in any way connect with your character, um, 
who I'm going to be spending most of the screen time with, it doesn't matter that they get into some um, amazing fireworks display of a set piece. I ultimately won't care because I, I don't care about that person. That person could be shot and I literally would like burp or something and like, oh, that happened. Um, and to be fair to Sam Mendes and to the film, that's not really what their main priority was. Again, from a directing standpoint, I understand why it is getting recognized the way that it is. Although I will say, while technically great, I don't really think it really builds new ground here. Um, I mean, there have been some great war films. I know Hacksaw Ridge, the Mel Gibson film, was amazingly directed from a few years ago. I know Dunkirk, even though I don't like the movie, is amazingly directed. Um, and I think with Hacksaw Ridge, I care more about that movie because I actually care about Andrew Garfield um, and his story. And whereas here, I can't come close to caring. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's just kind of where I come at it. And it, it's not a movie that I'll ever care to watch again. Not because it's not good. It's great. But like I told Peter, I'm if I'm going to compare this to other movies, any, any kind of movie, just on character alone, um... This movie came in underneath Captain Marvel for me because at least Captain Marvel had Talos. And I loved Talos. 1917 had nothing <laughs> from a character perspective. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I, I noticed that too when I when I first watching it that there wasn't much character development. Mm -hmm. But I did care about the journey they were going through mm. i was never afraid for their life i knew he was going to somehow make it towards the right. end mm -hmm. yeah oh, fuck that's a spoiler isn't it oh my god i'm, I'm is, it, uh, is it i, uh, I guess i mean <laughs> i mean is it i mean it's pretty obvious yeah, I, um, I mean that's i mean that's really yeah. like the only tiny spoiler there's some other stuff going on but kind of but i mean again i, I cared about the journey that they were going through and the way that they the director built the environment basically of like mm -hmm. like what's happening in this land and just kind of seeing the actors the actors reaction to everything like what they want to like how they're going to get through this and how they're reacting to just the whole carnage basically around them again it it's impressive mm -hmm. i think as a package it is very impressive especially since I think the one-shot feature works very well in the movie. Um, it gives it a little bit of a interesting touch than it would be if it weren't made to appear as if it was on a, you know captured in one shot. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, as film fans that we are, the experience of just watching the craft on display is alone. I think really make m makes this a must-watch. Mm. But again, um, just because of the inherent nature of this movie, I, again, it's a great film. <laughs> 
but I also called Ad Astra a great film <laughs> in a way. And yet I tried watching it a second time. I literally couldn't get through five seconds and I just shut it off. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, you know what? I don't need to see this again. Why, why would I see it again? Because <clears throat> I don't care about it. <laughs> so that's just kind of where I come from yeah. on that. So sorry. <laughs> that's kind of where I am. Um, are those all the movies? Um, no, we have one yeah. more. We have one more. The Farewell. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one's this one's better. <laughs> this <is> better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> based on an actual lie, a headstrong Chinese American woman returns to China when her beloved grandmother is given a terminal diagnosis. Billy struggles with her family's decision to keep grandma in the dark about her own illness as they all stage an impromptu wedding to see grandma one last time. Uh yeah. Again, none of the movie I loved. <laughs> uh the the cast was great. The story was very very interesting for me and in how they're going to deal with like how each character is going to deal with it because you got one that's against it, you got everyone else who's for it. And it was a huge surprise for me. Um, who? What's her name? Hold on, Aquafina. How great of an actress! Well, how funny of an actress she is. I saw in Juma- uh, She was in Jumanji, uh, next level. I can't remember what's it called, but really? yeah. Um, and she was pretty cool in it. But this one, I feel like it was so much better. And uh, yeah, well, Aquafina. Is is known more for her her comedy, I feel, but in this movie she got to do more than just being yeah, funny. That's why. I, that's why. I, that's why I thought it was so much right. better. What you were getting at, basically, mm-hmm. and I also thought I thought that that could have been in consideration for best actress, mm-hmm. considering the range that she has to go through in oh, this. Yeah. Um, no, this this movie's great. Um, another, I think, a twenty four staple here. This. Uh, I think by the very nature of it as an emotionally charged movie, um, the, the, the situation is interesting because as Americans, it's a very foreign, downright alien concept, mm-hmm. um, the premise of this. That is, you know, in, in, you know, across the world, it's very normal yeah. in the sense that, uh, and, and Lulu Wong, the director of the film, um, based this off her own story. And her own nai nai, her own grandmother, and and the concept that that they do in China, where um, if the person has a, you know kind of like a life ending disease, <clears throat> they don't tell them because it is their long held belief that it's not, let's say in this case, the cancer that kills them, but it's the fear that kills them, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting concept yeah. because I feel. And clearly, um, not in every case, clearly, but I think it's an interesting concept because there is, I feel, truth, some truth to that that tale of the fear killing people more so than the disease. I actually, it's not the same, but it's almost kind of relatable to me. Uh, My grandma, she had uh, Alzheimer's. So she starts seeing right. things yeah. and all that. And my mom told me that um, whenever she like starts hearing something or starts seeing something, her sister 
would go, no, there's nothing there. Like, don't like you're just seeing stuff. But my mom, she would play along with it. Like she'll say, there's some construction workers working outside. I can't sleep. And she'll, my mom, she'll go, oh, okay, I'll call them. I'll tell them to stop and all that. Like she plays along with it. Right. So like, I, I remember when she told me that, I was kind of like, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. And so uh, I think that's how I kind of like understood both sides of both cultures wanting right. to do that. Right. Interesting. Right. Really interesting for me. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it may also, because um, clearly you're not from China, no. you're not Chinese, but it all, it, it, that concept can, it's not singularly Chinese, but for the sense, the, the terms of this movie, it's an embedded it seems like in, in chinese culture yeah. um and the whole premise of this is that um aquafina's grandmother nai nai is diagnosed with it and the whole family makes this decision to not tell her so they come up with this elaborate excuse for the whole family to reunite they throw together one of their nephews into a marriage <laughs> quote-unquote marriage um, as the excuse to all come back to China to see her one last time, to see Nai Nai one last mm-hmm. time. Um, I'll say this, the ending is surprising. Uh, yeah. But we'll save that for the end, but gosh, it is... I, I'm sure... Uh, If you're someone who had a close relationship with your grandmother, maybe lost a grandmother, I feel like this uh, would be a very emotional experience Mm -hmm. to see a movie like this. Because to me, the best part is the dynamic between Aquafina. And her nai played by Zhao Zhuzhen, Zhuzhen, um, Chinese actress, uh, who I also felt should have been in consideration for Best Supporting Actress, because she's great in this. Um, It's so... I don't know. The dynamic between them, I feel like at some point, I forget that I'm watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And I and I feel like I'm watching, like uh, some kind of a videotape or a home movie or something. That's how I think raw the emotion is, and how great those two actors are playing off against each other. And again, I think this film has a great cast uh, overall, um, but clearly the heart of this is the dynamic between those two. And as the movie goes along through its paces especially that whole sequence with the wedding and people um bearing out their soul to her Mm -hmm. it's like i i I, the grandmother didn't seem phased no but i i feel like if if i were her i'd be like why are these uh, get a grip this is a fucking wedding why are you crying You're sp- this is supposed to be a happy event, and everybody's fucking crying out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I feel like at some point, like something's off yeah. here. You yeah. know, like <laughs> there was a lot of um, red flags mm-hmm. going off, but the emotion is absolutely there. It is. There's a sequence in the end of the movie where um, uh, Aquafina 
acts as if this is the last time she'll see her grandmother alive in their parting ways. And as the car is uh, pulling away, uh, we're, we're zooming out of Nainai, and uh, you see her face just break and break more. Um, you can just tell what a close relationship these two had with each other. Um, I almost wonder what a close friend of mine would think of this if I recommended this movie to her. Um, she was, you know, we were very close with each other, um, back up there in Washington, D.C., and she recently lost her grandmother, and as she claims, she was raised by her grandmother. Mm. Her grandmother was her best friend. She was 90 years old, um, unfortunately passed away late last year, and I know it's weighing heavy on her conscience because you, she feels like she just lost her, her biggest fan, her best friend, um, and I'm sure a lot of our grandmothers wore that to us. Um, and in some ways, it can be an uncomfortable viewing experience for those of us who have yet to experience the loss of a grandparent. Because it's just kind of, it fills you with dread knowing that one day that's going to happen. And that's not fun thinking about that i lost a grandparent uh a year ago and um i'm i still haven't really come to terms with that (laughs) with that with that especially in in the situation in which that happened but yeah it's uh it can't be cathartic it is emotional it's also in spaces weirdly funny (laughs) yeah I mean, I mean, you just gotta have to laugh sometimes in <laughs> situations, and yeah, and yeah. No, this. The more I think about it, the more I'm kind of like I find this kind of relatable. <laughs> it's so weird. Interesting. No, like you just brought up like that scene in the end where Aquafina's leaving, and then you see the grandma kind of like break down crying. Uh, it's like that happens to me. That I saw that a lot whenever we would go to Tijuana and we would um, and we would say goodbye oh. to my grandma. Like she would kind of like feel sad about it. And even though it's like you know it's just a three hour drive away, <laughs> not mm-hmm. what is it twelve hour flight? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, 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 we'd always she always be kind of sad whenever we would leave, but. Yeah, I I feel like secretly a lot of us are that way. I I'm uh, I related a lot more to to um, well both of them in that moment because I also, whenever I, I get to reunite with people that I really really love to be around, and then that moment where you have to separate to go back to our regular lives, it's just so crushing. You know, because you just wish you could spend more time together, and yet <clears throat> life demands that you have to be elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a good year and a half, I flew back and forth from one side of the country to the other. Two different lives, two different worlds. Uh, like I mentioned, it's like flying from Coruscant <laughs> to uh, Mos Eisley. <laughs> it literally is the perfect comparison. 
um, uh, you know, to my situation. And whenever I'd have to leave one location and head back to the other, I would just get so sad. Mm-hmm. And um, those are parts of life that, you know, sometimes I wish I could do without, but um, change has got to happen. And that usually involves separation. Um, so I, I thought it was a deeply moving film. Mm-hmm. And I think one that is, even though it has subtitles in it, which, you know, people need to get over that, honestly. I think it's very much accessible to a mainstream audience, maybe more so than any other A24 film um, in a while. Because when I think of A24, I think of, okay, Uncut Gems and Lighthouse, and those movies are not mainstream <laughs> at all. In fact, I would actually, I would actively um, warn audiences to stay away from those movies because <laughs> um, they would not have a good time. But I think Farewell is, it's just more universal. Yeah, definitely. The, 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 the premise is, is universal, you know? It doesn't matter what culture you're mm. from. So, um, and also Happy, even though it is, uh, this is not a, f- a, 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 uh, a film that was made in another country like Parasite and that we got it here. This is a film that was made in the U.S., and as somebody who has, you know, documented, um, you know, the Asian American um, experience in film, you know, the last year um, with the work I did with uh, See Us, it's very rewarding to see that there are more and more films that are being made that um, predominantly feature Asian Americans mm-hmm. or Asians. Um, that's a net positive um, in a seemingly sea of shit that we have coming on the horizon, um, for film in any way. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, the farewell. Do you have any other thoughts on this movie? No, I think we said everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I think we're going to go ahead and cut it there, yeah. right? I think that's all the movies. All right. All right. So... Uh, thank you all for listening to our late night derangements. Um, even though it's not late, but it feels late because we're old now. Um, it is 2020. Um, you can listen to our podcast whenever it drops. When? (laughs) It drops every single Sunday, sometimes on Thursdays. Um, anywhere I meant to say you listen to podcasts. It's got a brain fart there. (laughs) Um, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, anywhere, Wooshka on those days. And of course, catch Bond and Beyond, um, as well as To The Table and other shows of the sort. And keep an eye out for our top 10 shows that will be coming shortly. But until then, thank you, David, for joining me on this podcast. Thank you all for listening so, so much. And remember to stay here under the spotlight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.